Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. I love this passage of scripture <clears throat> that uh, Sam just read. Thank you, Sam. Any, any opportunity I can, I want to preach from this passage, and I can only do it when the Lord allows me to. And, and as I was praying and asking the Lord about what to speak to you on, he uh, very clearly took me to this, uh, this chapter, and I was, I was very thrilled about that. The story is perhaps a familiar one. You know, <clears throat> if I can just put it this way, which you will not take as a great surprise, these guys were in lockdown. Guess what? You know, the Bible is always relevant. We've been in lockdown for a long time now, and lockdown doesn't do anyone any good. But in this story, the disciples, it says in the text, that they were locked up for fear of the Jews. And, you know, we can be locked up, locked in, and locked down. Locked up with fear, locked in with guilt, and locked down with condemnation. And they, they were carrying all three of these heavy weights on their shoulders because of the recent events. They had deserted Jesus. Peter had denied him publicly. And now they were locked up in this upper room, first of all, for fear of the Jews, thinking they might come after them. But secondly, they were carrying this weight of failure. And you know, when we're in, in lockup or lockdown, too much introspection is very unhealthy. You know, we, I don't know about you, but I've talked to many people that through this last period of time, they've, because they've had too much time to think in, in one sense, they've been thinking the wrong way. And it's very easy to get into a negative mindset, especially when the whole world's in turmoil over the, the pandemic and, and other issues going on in the world. And so if, if we're like these disciples, we might, some of us might have been in our own upper rooms. You, know, you don't have to be in a location to be locked up. You can be locked up within while you're still wandering around outside. But the good news is, in the midst of this lock-up, lock-in, lock-down, Jesus shows up. And Jesus will always show up when we need him to come and rescue us. That's what he's good at doing. And he's here today by his spirit, and he wants to minister uh, hope and freedom and life and expectation and destiny to all of us. Because, you know, I want to say this at the outset, we are no longer ordinary people. We are extraordinary people because of Jesus. He has made us extraordinary. It has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with him. And so Jesus shows up in the upper room, and what I find absolutely mind-blowing, he doesn't mention their failure once. It's not in the text. Remember, Peter denied him three times. The disciples all deserted him. But Jesus comes into the room. He appears, piff, paff, poof, woof. You know, there he is. And all he says, not all, but all he says is, peace be with you. No reprimand, no scolding, no telling off, no going through a list of misdemeanors and big demeanors. Just peace be with you. This is the empowering ministry of Jesus. It says in Luke 4.18 that Jesus came to set the captives free. And I find that too many of us believers are living in the, in the twilight zone of, of grace and law. 
we, 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 we have a, there's something in us that wants things. We have to prove to God that we're good enough for him to love us and care for us, which is old covenant language and has nothing to do with the new covenant. And so I can imagine these disciples are stuck in this room <clears throat> carrying the heaviness of the fact that they didn't live up to their own expectations. Remember, Peter said, oh, they all may leave you, but I'll always be here. But he wasn't. Because in his own strength, he couldn't do it. Now he's carrying that guilt. And some of us might be carrying that sense of the treadmill of always wanting to try and, and do something to please God, but always feeling as if we've never done enough. And we live with that, that twilight zone of we, we know grace, but we live under law. And we talk about being saved by grace, but living under law. And Jesus comes in and totally wipes away that that issue by saying, peace be with you. He brings them the peace of God. And first, he says it twice in the text. And the first time, he says it, I believe, to set them free from their history. Fear is something that should not be a part of our lives. You can have healthy fear. In our nervous system, fear kicks in when we're in a dangerous situation. That's so we can... Um, activate our survival instincts. But that's, that's healthy. But there is an unhealthy fear. In fact, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. You see, he, he identifies fear in this context as a spirit. And if you're carrying fear that's condemning and, and frightening and giving you no hope and no sense of the way forward. That's the spirit of fear trying to close you down, neutralize you, paralyze you, so you're ineffective in serving the purposes of God. And that's not the will of God for your life. And that's exactly why Jesus turned up here. He wanted to set them free from their history so they could fulfill their destiny. See, if you're walking around paralyzed or crippled by fear, you'll never be able to move in the full effectiveness of the anointing and calling of God on your life, which is what Jesus wants for you and me. And so he says, peace for your history. Peace to set them free from what had dragged them down and held them bound and locked them up and kept them in fear and a sense of guilt. And Jesus comes and he says to us this morning, peace be with you. You might need to know that peace today. It's not just a, a word. It has, it's packed full of power. And in the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, it, it means a whole number of things. Not just be at peace. It means be how, live in well-being. Be prosperous. Live in a freshness. And this is what Jesus came to give them and comes to give us today. He wants to restore us. This is his, the first aspect of his ministry to them. His restoration ministry was to set them free from their history. And today you can be set free from anything that's trying to chain you up and pull you down. Jesus broke the chains, broke the curse, set the captives free. We just need to step into the reality of that and live in the good of it and we will know and experience that liberty. But not only... Did he say, peace be with you, to set them free from their history? Later on in the text, verse 23, 22, 23, just before he speaks about as the Father has sent me, he says again, prefacing that statement, he says, peace be with you. And that second statement is being said so he can set them free to fulfill their destiny. So we need to receive the peace of Jesus to set us free from our history. 
then we need to know the peace of Jesus if we're going to go forward and fulfill our destiny. You see, we're all children of destiny. We're no longer ordinary. Don't say, oh, I'm just little old me. Well, little old you is anointed and empowered by God to be a world changer. The silence is deafening. Let's hold hands and contact the living for a moment, shall we? You are called to be a world changer. And if you think less than that, you're thinking less than Jesus died and rose again and called you to be. We've got to raise our expectations and get them in line with the word of God. It's not puffing you up. It's giving you the truth of what Jesus says you are called to be. Didn't he say in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set captives free, to bind up broken hearts, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to heal the sick, and so on, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that same ministry, that same kingdom manifesto is for you and for me. And because we are ambassadors for Christ, we have all that is necessary to execute that ministry. If you don't believe you're an ambassador, read 2 Corinthians 5. So peace for their history, and now peace for their destiny. You see, you are a child of destiny. Before you were born, when you were in your mother's womb, God called you and set you apart. And he put within you all of the DNA that you need to be all that he has called you to achieve. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. The word workmanship, actually, the, another you can sometimes see in the margin of your Bibles that the, the word workmanship is also a, a poem. You're a poem. I like that. Because that means that you are the creative artistry of God. He puts something very special in you. Uniquely you. You can't be me and I can't be you. You say, thank God, I don't want to be you. That's okay. I don't want to be you. I'm quite happy with me. It took me a long time to find out that I'm okay with me because Jesus is okay with me. Just be yourself. But be yourself the way Jesus wants you to be yourself. And so he brings his restoration ministry to these guys. Oh, boy. I, I don't wish I was there, but I do wish I was there. You know what I mean? I just, it would, wow. First of all, seeing Jesus walk through the door. After all, our, our faith is a supernatural faith. It's not religion. I don't like religion. And Karl Marx said, religion is the opiate of the people. He was right, because it kills you. The law kills, but the spirit gives life. Just in case, of course, you're going to nail me for heresy, you know. <laughs> so he brings his restoration ministry, and he brings peace for their history. And then he brings peace for their destiny. If you need peace for your history today, Jesus is here to do that. He's here to set you free. If you need peace to secure you in your destiny, Jesus is here today. To settle that matter and establish you in who you are called to be in Christ. But now, secondly, not only does he bring his restoration, and secondly, he, brings, he reveals his compassion to them. You see, he wants to 
cement in on, on the foundation of this restoration because it says, then he showed them his hands and his side. He revealed the marks of his new covenant love to them. You see, this is a new covenant. The old is gone and the new is here. We no longer live under the old. Now that Jesus came, established the kingdom, went to the cross, took care of all sin for all people for all time. If you don't believe that, read Hebrews 9. It's in there three times, once for all, for all time. He, he established that. He heralded the kingdom. He brought it in and he revealed to them the new. This is the, this is the foundation of the new covenant. The blood scarred marks on his hands and his side. He revealed his love. We need a fresh revelation of the new covenant love of Jesus. You see, fear, I, I, over the years, I've, and I've been ministering for so many years, so many people I've talked to have lived with fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and all other kinds of stuff like that. And it's just not necessary. And it says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear should not be in your life, except the healthy fear of, you know, you don't jump off tall buildings unless you've got a parachute and so on. Fear is the enemy's tool to paralyze you, make you a prisoner of war. 1 John 4, 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. So many of us live in an old covenant lifestyle misunderstanding that if I do bad, I get beat. That's not in the new covenant, by the way. See, the old covenant, the problem with the old covenant was God gave the people a list of commandments and they said, we will keep them. Big mistake, because they couldn't and they didn't. And that's what the problem is. And they're always in trouble because they're always under condemnation of the law. But we're not in that position. We're in this new covenant of love situation. Let me try to explain it for a few moments. In, in, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is having a chat with God and said, you know, what about my inheritance? What about my offspring? Uh, what about the land? And God says, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing now, read the passage, you get the story. I'm going to cut covenant with, for you, not with you, but for you. And he told Abraham to take a number of animals and slaughter them, cut the carcasses in two and put them uh, side by side on, on the ground. And uh, there was carcasses and blood everywhere. Blood's a mark of the covenant. And then what happens is it says as the sun's going down, Moses must have got tired after all that busy slaughtering stuff, you know. And he fell asleep. He was like some of us in church do. We were snoring in the spirit. I'm looking at the back row now. <laughs> and here's what is so vital to know. That's not just an aside. This is key to the new covenant. While Abraham slept... In other words, he was a sleeping partner. It says that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between 
the carcasses. That's how covenant worked. The two parties would walk through the bloodied mess of the carcasses and make a vow to one another that involved the giving of life if either one did not keep their side of the covenant. But what is interesting is in the Old Testament, the covenant was made between God and the people. So they were responsible to fulfill their part and they failed. And we failed in it as well. But in this picture, this symbol, symbolic language, it shows us, paints us a picture of the new covenant. Abraham wasn't involved in the covenant. As I said, he was a sleeping partner. And we have the smoking firepot, symbolic, speaking of God who's spoken of as a cloud and fire for the old covenant, for the Israelites. He, the smoke filled the temple, the presence of God. That's one part, one uh, member of, of, of this, uh, this covenant. And then the flaming torch. Who's the flaming torch? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And so these two made covenant with one another on behalf of Abraham, the father of our faith, and therefore for us. So Abraham wasn't a participant he was a sleeping partner and he was a beneficiary. And today, because of the nail-marked hands and speared side and nailed feet, because of the blood of Jesus shed, we can be beneficiaries of this amazing new covenant that our sins and our lawless deeds he will remember no more. Hebrews 8.12 this is Jesus revealing his love to these failures. People like me. I won't be so bold to say people like you. You're not a failure. You're a success because Jesus is a success. You stand in Jesus today. You, he, he's revealing the new covenant to you this morning. He said, I've taken care of it all. You're a sleeping partner. All Abraham had to do, and it's what it says, and Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, Jesus, in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, some people followed him. And he says, you're only following me because you want to see the miracles, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. That's my interpretation of the scripture. And they said to him, well, what should we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus said this, this is the only work. Okay, tongue in cheek slightly. Jesus said, this is the work that you must do to be doing the works of God. Believe in the one whom he sent. You see that? The work is to believe. Not other kind of, uh, you know, Pray for six hours, read the whole Bible in a year. I mean, all great things, but some people are under so much pressure to try and please God. You can't please Him that way. Faith pleases Him. Believing pleases Him. That's all that is necessary. This is the work of God, that you believe in what Jesus is trying to communicate to these disciples. He revealed the marks of the cross. He says, I have taken care of all of your sin, failure, mistakes, the things that you're ashamed about, that only you and God know. By the way, nobody else needs to go know about it. It's between you and God. Take it to the cross and leave it there and walk away free and light in heart. Amen. This is good news. 
This is what gets me up in the morning, along with coffee. And so he revealed his compassion to them, his covenant love. Beloved, we need to enjoy this gift freely given. It's, it's almost kind of rude to, to, to not take it to the max when it's been given so freely. I mean, we need to just bask in it. Take full hold of it and don't let any of it go. You are completely, completely free from guilt, condemnation, and sin. Jesus set you free from your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. How can I say that? Well, because all of your sin is future to the cross. Everything you've ever done is 2,000 years after the event. And Jesus died for your future sin. Now you think, oh, that, that, that means I can do it like, no, don't be stupid. Sin is stupid. God won't judge you, but the devil will eat your lunch and pop the bag. You know, you will be in so much trouble. It, you just, it's not worth it. And I know that. Let me say this. No matter how great your sin, his grace is greater. You can't out-sin the grace of God. That's not a license to sin. As I said to you, that's being absolutely stupid. But when we realize, it says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. You see, his love stirs a love response in my heart. Instead of obeying out of fear, I obey out of love because I love the one who loves me so much. Isn't that better? Isn't that the way to live for Jesus? Just because he loves me. By the way, when God called you to your destiny, he factored in your stupidity as well. You know, I know that very well for me. So Jesus comes and he brings his restoration to them. He, he, he brings peace for their history. Peace for your history. And then peace to set you free to fulfill your God-ordained and anointed destiny. You're a child of destiny. Don't think any less of yourself. And then he reveals his compassion to him. There's this, this revealing of his new covenant love. But here's another little key. You know you've received this when you, when you get what the disciples got. It says the disciples were glad. G-L-A-D. They were glad when they saw the Lord. I mean, that's a British understatement in my book. That's, you know, that's, oh yes, very nice. No, they were ecstatic. They were over the moon. They were blown away. These are all deep Greek theological statements I'm giving you here to help you to understand. Blown away by the love of God. You see, when you're in love, no one has to tell you to love someone. When you're in love, you, you just, you your brain goes out the window usually, but that's okay because you, you need to let your brain go out the window and allow your spirit to rise up in your heart. The mind is a great thing, but it must be a servant to the spirit of God and your own spirit within you. Anyway, he restores them. He reveals his compassion to them. They are. They received his love. And then here's what happens. You see, now he's established the groundwork. And I trust we've established the ground. He goes on to what he's got for them. And he begins, the, the next thing is he commissions them. 
We all need to know we're commissioned. When a, when a military, when an officer, when a soldier becomes an officer, <clears throat> not a non-com, but a, the other kind, I'm not very good in military, but when a soldier becomes a, a, a commissioned officer, he receives a formal letter from the queen, from the monarch, authorizing him to exercise his authority according to the rank he's given. And so Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Think about it. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That means we get to speak the words and do the works of Jesus. No more, no less. In fact, in John 14, Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works because I go to the Father. And so he's commissioning them. He's saying, I have work for you to do. Do exactly what I've been doing. Speak my words and do my works. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Set the captives free. Deliver those who are demonized. Hmm. Is that too much? Well, that's what Jesus said. And if he said it, he's going to enable us to do it. Hello? You still with me? Yeah, okay. Gets worse. We've got to do this. We've got to realize that God has commissioned us to speak his words and to do his works. And then we need to understand that, that we, are, we are going to be able to walk as carriers of his presence. That's what the commissioning is all about. You have given authority as a carrier of the presence of Jesus. Wherever you go, Jesus goes. Whatever you say, make sure you're saying what Jesus wants you to say. Take a risk. Pray for somebody who's sick. Who knows? They could get healed. <laughs> the worst thing is they don't. But at least they knew you loved them enough. I remember when I was, we were ministering, we, we, we lived and worked in India. It's in the book, by the way, don't forget. <coughs> uh, we were living and ministering in India, and I was walking down the road one day, and I saw a, a beggar on the street, and I had no money. I worked for an organization called YWAM. Anybody familiar with YWAM? Yeah. Youth without any money, that's what it is. <laughs> so there, there I was, and I, and I saw this beggar, and I, and, I, and I was almost like a Peter, but I just, I, silver and gold have I not, but I wasn't that spiritual, you know. But I just knelt down and spoke to him, and, and, and tried to affirm him and said, can I pray for you? And he, he said, yes, Sab. Um, and, and I prayed for him and I blessed him. And then when I got up to walk away, some people came over and said, what did you do? And I said, oh, I just wanted to encourage him. I said, oh, you are a holy man. I said, forgive me a break. It's just what you're supposed to do. I was preaching in a church up uh, uh, north uh, before the lockdown. And as I stood up to speak, oh, it's a bit similar to this, this morning, a different thing, just heard this little thought popped in my head. There's someone here who's in a car accident, and they've uh, got residual back pain and leg pain. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's, that's great. I'm just about to preach. And, and, you know. So I, I waited until I got th through the end of the preach, and then I just said, is someone here who's got 
back pain, leg pain, lady in the front row. Everybody can see her, you know, it's not at the backwards side of the front row. She says, that's me. So I went down, laid hands on her, prayed her. Her back was healed immediately. And I said, how's your leg? She said, still got some pain in my leg. Prayed for her, leg totally healed. You see, you've, you've got a, a choice to make with these things. You can get out of the boat and walk and maybe sink, but Jesus will pick you up out of the water anyway. But the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. Because the more you get to hear and trust and move with his voice. So anyway, commissioned. Three minutes to go. The final thing is what enables them to fulfill the commission. It's his provision. So there's his restoration. There's his compassion. There's his commission. And now finally in this story is his provision. He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 23 says, which we didn't include, but I'll just say it. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. What an awesome responsibility. And yet we have to receive the breath of God, the wind of God, the power of God in the Holy Spirit to minister under the anointing with authority to say to someone who gives their life to Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. I hesitate to say to someone, your sins are not forgiven. But I am authorized and feel confident to say when someone has given their life to Jesus, the slate's wiped clean. Your new creation. That's what the provision of the Holy Spirit is. Now, it's very interesting. <clears throat> Trying to wrap this up. It's very interesting because this is pre-Pentecost. And so it, some think that this was John share, pre, including the completeness of the whole gospel in his book before the day of Pentecost. Some said symbolic language. But in the Greek wording, there is a, a transaction takes place. Maybe they had a preview Holy Spirit anointing. I, I, I don't understand it all. But what I do know is when, when Jesus rose from the dead, Mary went to touch him. And he said, don't touch me. I'm not ascended to my father. But then later in, in John, when, when Thomas was doubting, Jesus came and said, now Thomas, now touch me. Don't touch me. I haven't ascended. Now you can touch me. What, what do I take from that? That between those two encounters, Jesus ascended to heaven. He said, if I ascend, the Holy Spirit will come down. So now he has ascended. It's my bariology. He has ascended. He's come down. Now the Holy Spirit is available like it, he had not been available before. And he blessed these men, these disciples. There might have been women there as well. I don't know. It doesn't say specifically. But he, he, he breathed the wind of God on them. And Ezekiel 37 the, the prophet had this, uh, to, had to speak to the, the dry bones. And when he prophesied, let the four winds come and breathe on these dead. And they came to life and they became a mighty army. See, God's looking for a mighty army of broken and wounded people whose strength is not in themselves, but in him. Because in your brokenness, you're powerful. In your weakness, you are strong. Because it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's all about Jesus in you. And so he breathed on them and said, Receive the authority to minister in my name. So this morning, I'm wrapping it up. 
Maybe you feel that you're in that place where you need restoration. Maybe you want to have a sense, fresh sense of that amazing love, that amazing grace, that amazing, that outrageous grace of Jesus in your life afresh. Maybe you want a fresh provision of the anointing. You know, and I want to encourage you. All of that is available right here, right now in Jesus. Because Jesus is here when two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst of them. And he's here to minister to us. So would you like to just stand for a moment as the worship team just comes back up? If you need to get away, time's up. The meeting is officially closed, but the Holy Spirit is still here. Let me just pray. I just want to pray a general prayer for all of you. And then if there are some of you who want specific prayer, please feel free to come out. And uh, I would love to have the privilege of praying for you. Father, I thank you that Jesus died and rose again. I thank you that you're a God of restoration, not condemnation. I thank you that you're here this morning to revive us, to set us free from our histories so we can fulfill our destiny. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll flow upon us and amongst us. Set the captives free. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your presence be tangible on each one of us this morning. Minister life, liberty. Heal, heal those who need healing. In Jesus' name. May your love be so tangible. May it be like honey dripping from heaven onto a sweet to the taste and energizing to our being. I pray for a fresh commissioning for each one to take hold of that call to do and say the works of Jesus, the words and the works of Jesus, Father God. Let that anointing come. And I pray, Holy Spirit, let that provision, now Pentecost has come, the Spirit is available. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I say, come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh and bless us and empower us to serve your purposes in our generation so that Jesus is glorified. Jesus is magnified and we are blessed just to be good and faithful servants. We are sons who serve. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.